0: Hello and welcome to the Wilder podcast. My name is Laura and I'll be your host. I'm a holistic nutritionist and yoga teacher based in Raglan. I am so incredibly excited about this episode. Samantha Tompkinson is today's guest. She's a very good friend of mine as well as a pretty incredible human. She's a psychologist. I really liked her tagline so I thought I would mention it. She's all about helping people understand their own mind and the mind of others and she does a lot of work with building people's resilience and emotional intelligence. I won't explain too much about those things because Sam does a much better job in the interview but we talk um, a lot about mind, even defining the difference between thoughts, feelings, and emotions, which I actually found really useful. We talk about how to get a little out of, you know, generally we spend quite a lot of time in the thinking mind, so actually how to drop into feeling and moving away from thinking. If you tend to overthink, then those tools will be really useful for you. We talk about, as I mentioned, emotional intelligence and Samantha's relationship with her mother and what she learned she received some very very profound learnings from her mother so I know you'll really enjoy hearing about that the three sort of takeaways that Sam mentions at the end of the interview are very tangible really easy things easy and difficult in a way things that you can do sort of right now this afternoon to bring a little bit more calm increase your emotional intelligence drop into feeling all of those things and everything will make a little more sense once sam's explained it so i'll leave it to the professional here's my interview with samantha thompkinson welcome Samantha. I love to give our listeners a little bit of context on who you are but also how you came to be who you are. So do you want to start with
1: originally why you got into psychology? Oh good question. Well I think why I got into psychology is probably quite a traditional reason really. Going and doing A-levels like the subject and then just realized that it was quite a useful skill to have. I think my mum pointed me in that direction a little bit too. But I think I just loved always analysing people and working out why we do what we do. And then realised that I think I've always just had quite an analytical mind and would stare at people for hours and just be fascinated by that. So I think it just was a really good fit and then I did want to be a child psychologist or a clinical psychologist with more traditional roots and then went and did volunteer work in those areas and just realized there was a lot of red tape around that, which I think I would find restrictive. And also like being quite young at that point, trying to make a decision, I thought it'd be quite emotionally draining. Looked at, I actually found myself in a graduate recruitment role in business and an organizational psychologist came in and put me through a whole heap of psychometrics and gave me some of the most profound feedback I've ever received and realized wow wouldn't it be wonderful if we all had access to it? and that's when i heard like, really heard and understood organizational psychology so i went and trained as a organizational psychologist and got into leadership and organizational dynamics and which led me then to emotional intelligence which is a big leadership characteristic
0: mm. and so that's interesting psychometrics as obviously a tool that you use a lot you find that really useful with clients how do you feel like psychometrics can help people
1: I actually use them less now to be honest mm-hmm. because that was the more traditional onset of me being an organizational psychologist but I think where I practice from now actually is a real combination of kind of traditional psychology training but more with like it more in my embodied or somatics trainings in the so I did a lot of I, I and still do a lot of study in the field of like meditation and embodiment and the mind body connect so psychometrics is very it's very cognitive and so I'll use it maybe at the beginning of a intervention if people want to gain more understanding of how they're seen by others but I don't use them as much um, as I used to there's a great uh, psychometric called the emotional intelligence profile and I use that one a lot with my clients if they want that more cognitive understanding of themselves benchmarked against others mm. but I think one of the things that I'm trying to teach people is to form their own opinions of themselves so to not get too caught up on the whole pigeonholing that psychometrics can do so it's a real combination a real balance of using them if i feel they're necessary with other tools and methodologies which are more intuitive i guess mm.
0: does the emotional intelligence profile that you mentioned does that give you like a score a number or like mm. that it does. yeah i feel yeah. like that. that would really appeal to your probably your corporate
1: yeah, yeah oh, I, they I love us it. yes how i get people through the door because they want to know they want to know everything and then once i teach them the difference between kind of thoughts and feelings and their innate knowing then they can let go of that need to know a little bit more but psychometrics are a good really good starting point and it's a great psychometric that actually really impacted me and my emotional intelligent journey when I first got my feedback results from the first one I ever completed back in I think it was 2011 and then I was like whoa oh yeah there's some stuff to work on here
0: (laughs) interesting cool yeah I was just from a well from even from our schooling and the way we're brought up like doing a quiz and a questionnaire that tells us who we are or what we're good at is quite appealing but actually as you say spending that time to really get to know yourself and then forming your own opinion is is probably harder work but worthwhile in the long run massively yeah it's been like some of the best stuff i've ever done Mm. You mentioned the sort of difference between thoughts, feelings, and emotions. Would you like to take
1: us through that? Yeah, it's such a big one that most people don't understand the difference between thoughts, feelings, and emotions. And it's quite hard to actually explain because like, I'm explaining through my thinking mm. narrative. Let's start with emotions. Emotions can be categorized as our energy in motion. So we're having an emotional experience. There's some energy moving in one shape or form due to usually a number of different factors. Now what creates that movement of energy is a whole heap of things, but predominantly the thoughts that we have and the feelings. And the difference between those two things is if you think of feelings as your physiological response, it's your heart rate, it's all the, it's, it's the blood pressure, it's everything that's going on inside of you all the time, like regulating your central nervous system. And then our thoughts are the narrative that we put around our whole experience all the time. So the thoughts and the feelings are working together all the time in conjunction with our external environment. And if there's some kind of stimulus or something in the external environment that isn't in keeping with where we want it to be, then usually there's some energy that wants to move in some shape or form, which is the emotional experience. But a lot of people get confused because they think of emotions and feelings at the same time. So they think that emotion is crying, for instance, but actually... Like tears are an expression of sadness, usually, which are an expression of both thinking and feeling, Mm -hmm. not just a felt experience, if that does make sense. There's another exercise I do with clients that maybe we want to do now, which is if everybody just takes a moment to think about their left hand. Now I'd like you to feel your left hand. And then I usually get clients to unpack what they went through as they just did that exercise. And what you tend to find is a bit like being left-handed or right-handed, clients learn to use thinking more than feelings or learn to use feeling more than thinking different people will answer from a different place but thinkers will predominantly talk very much about the narrative of their left hand they might have analyzed it thought about what it's used for checked out aging it looks all that kind of stuff but when I ask them to feel their left hand they usually take their right hand and and actually feel it like the action of feeling
0: Mm.
1: not recognizing that actually feeling is something that we can do just innately just I usually have to close down my eyes to switch off the external environment, but just dropping into the felt experience of the left hand, which is always there for you to act. And that felt experience doesn't come with narrative or words, but it just is. And it's that sense of being that we're all gifted with Mm. that sometimes we lose track of as we get into these busy worlds and environments.
0: Cool. Interesting. Yeah. I love that distinction because we don't really have the language for these sorts of things. A lot of Feeling is actually hard to put language on anyway, but it is nice the way that you're able to distinguish everything. So if we did feel that we spent too much time thinking and we wanted to spend more time feeling, what would be
1: an exercise we could do that would help us get into the more feeling? Oh, nice. Like A body scan is a great way to get started. And what you need to be kind to yourself with, particularly if you're a big thinker, is your thinking machine or your thinking muscle if it's been used and it's on overdrive it's going to take some time to slow down often I find when I talk about things like meditation or body scans people are like nope I just can't do that And unless you can but you need to be patient with yourself and give your mind time to unwind if it's been on the go actually I think the first point of course is to create space in your life where you're not using your brain so give mm-hmm. your brain a rest so go for a walk in nature go swimming do anything that kind of pulls you into your body but i personally do a daily meditation practice and for me it's to keep that neural pathway strong of being able to stop thinking and Mm. being able to just drop into the body so yeah if people are going to get started then body there's body scans meditations they can do but sometimes they need to use uh, physical activity to drop into a place of still so to come from the mind into the body To just do that by just sitting down and trying to keep your mind focused on your body is quite hard. So they might want to transition through a run or through a yoga class. Mm. You'll find like at the end of the yoga class that the Shavasana is like the most important move, they say. And actually because the whole yoga class is really about being able to then sit in stillness, like to connect back in with the body to then allow you to sit in stillness. So people might want to have a go at transitioning through the body into a place of kind of stillness with that sense of being of what is but just bringing your attention to your toes to your feet if you are in nature just noticing how you're breathing how you're walking anything that's putting your attention on your body your breath is always with you so your breath is probably the best thing to get started with just taking a moment to focus on the breath mm. just notice where you're breathing from without judgment and just staying with the breath like the inhale, the house. And the beauty of that is actually not only is it bringing you into a body, but you can start to influence your physical, your nervous system just through extending the exhales or the inhales. So you can start to actually alter what you're feeling through that that noticing as well, if Mm -hmm. that makes
0: sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's really great, those suggestions. I also think it is really important to be gentle and it takes so much practice. I think I remember the first, very first time I even attempted to just feel was like, oh, there's nothing there or it didn't, it didn't feel anything. And it' interesting that you mentioned the pathways as well. Like you do just actually have to teach your brain how to perceive in this specific
1: way yeah. rather than yeah, just perceiving through words. Yeah. And it's quite complex because actually some people are actually more in the feeling. They're in their feelings all the time. And actually they probably need to do some more thinking or structuring their feelings so they're not getting overwhelming. So it's not, I would say both of us can be quite thinkers so we can talk from that place. Also, there's other reasons why people might not be able to go into their feelings. Maybe there's some trauma or there's, it feels quite scary to go Mm. in the feelings. And if that's the case, then you definitely want to reach out for some help. Yeah, some practitioners will be able to help you mm. through that mm. process. Mm. So that's something important to note too. Mm.
0: Yeah, cool. And, yeah, and, of course, when you mentioned trauma there, that doesn't necessarily need to be something really specific. It can just be some unprocessed emotion stuck in the system from
1: even – A year ago or even 20 years ago. Yeah. We talk about little T trauma and big T trauma. You think of big T traumas, big events. Everyone knows about it. But actually little T trauma, all of us have some element of little T trauma. But I mean by little T trauma is just like things that might be said to you over and over again that leaves you to form a disconnect with yourself. So it's almost like you lose a part of yourself or you push a part of yourself away. It might be being told you're not good enough over and over again by your parents. That is little T trauma. So even though there's not a one-off big event, it's causing a sense of disconnection within you, which needs to carefully be put back together again.
0: Mm. Mm. And sometimes they don't even say those words of you're not good enough, but that's the sort of meaning you make of those, of the words they said to you, even if they don't say those exact words as well, which I think is interesting because the truth of what was actually
1: happening, your perception of it, Mm. they may be quite different. Exactly. Which is... Yeah, the need to process, sometimes go back and process some stuff too and look at it differently with a wiser, more adult brain. Bless our our child brains don't have that wisdom that we do now mm. look at things differently. Mm. And then a lot of the work you do,
0: something that you're quite passionate about is true mental resilience and you compare this to mental toughness as well, which some people get confused about. I loved this distinction when you first explained it to me as well. So do you mind sharing with the listeners the difference between and why you are so passionate about resilience compared to mental toughness? Mm.
1: Yeah, they do get used interchangeably and they're significantly different because tough-mindedness is actually using your mind to override feeling a lot of the time to at whatever cost to get the goal done. So you see like people in the army or the services or, or leaders and executives will do that. They'll just keep overriding whatever they're feeling to whatever cost get get to the goal which is great for achieving goals but I work with lots of people in this space high performers and there's usually a toll to be in terms of well-being um, in terms of physicality we're not designed to keep using our mind to override our feelings we are designed to feel our feelings so the difference between tough-mindedness and resilience is that actually resilient people are using both the interchange between thoughts and feelings as a knowledge system, a holistic knowledge system, and they're taking actions based on both of those signals. So they're not using their thoughts to override their feelings. But let's say let's say it is an executive who's been having a really tough time, lots have been going on with COVID and everything. I, I'm working with a lot of these at the moment. Um, but instead of just using your mind to keep going resilient leaders are the ones that actually go I need to take a week off now because my body isn't feeling great and I'm and I, I know that I'm being emotionally expressive or that my body's kind of shutting down and that therefore my resilience is low and I need to go away and top it back up so resilience is a bit like a bank account really it's if you keep Adding to it, so you're doing things to add to your resi- resilience and you can view it like energy in versus energy out if you're doing things that are putting energy back, then you're going to top up your bank account and you're can stay in a healthy space and then if something f- from the side kind of sweeps you you've got some you've you've got some resources there to use to deal with that, but if you're keeping yourself actually just on the line or you 've dropped down to the red like every day is what you're having to again use your mind to keep yourself going. Then if there's even just like a little thing that sweeps you from the left that's not thought about, it's going to put you into a place where you start struggling more and more. And it's like going into the red of your bank account. You're in the overdraft and it's a lot harder place to come back from. So resilience is, yeah, it's a process. It's not a thing. And true resilient people use their whole holistic system, mind, body, to understand how to keep themselves resilient, to keep themselves going for the long term rather than tough-minded people who are just using their minds to override their feelings uh, just to get to the goal without um no real feeling for, for their feelings, if that makes sense. Mm. And so do the
0: specific tools that people use to stay resilient, are they different for each person? Do you have any specific
1: recommendations? Obviously, you mentioned just taking rest when it's required. Mm. Again, it's really important that it is specific for specific people because there's no good you going for a walk in nature but all the time your mind is telling you you should be somewhere else, that's not going to be energy in because the walk in nature is going to be topping up. It's a bit like topping up, but then at the same time, you've got your foot on the accelerator and the brake at the same time. It's Mm. not getting anywhere. Mm. So if you're topping up resilience, it needs to be, a, again, a mind and body activity. So you could actually do anything. You could sit, you could actually sit on your computer doing something that you consider to be fun, Mm. And that would be topping back up your mm. resilience. The only thing about that is that it's not getting your body moving. Getting your body moving is, given we are sat at computers quite a lot at the time, is a, a, a very good thing to do. Standard things is walking in nature. And I do say walking because a lot of people just go for the run. But again, if running is just something that you're doing quickly because you want to look great or get your heart pumping, it's not necessarily going to top up your resilience Again, if your mind's still just really, really busy and you're just adding it to the to-do list, you're not really relaxing or letting go. So walks in nature or meditating or yoga Mm. tend to be, I, I find, better resilience strategies for a lot of people than pushing through and just doing another physical activity. Um, and you see a lot of people who run all the time and are considered really fit and also very tough minded and then they're the type of people that will have a heart attack you know because they just push, push 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 so um doing things that actually calm down the central nervous system mm. Um, mm. and doing it while you're thinking good thoughts is uh, to me one of the best things that you can do to top up that resilience bank account.
0: Yeah, I definitely think that, and and just from my experience with my clients as well, running in particular can be quite a, a distraction, but I'm doing it. It's good for me, but actually it's, I think about it as almost like, it's not the same as resilience, but stress levels. We are dealing with a lot of just day-to-day stress. And so if we add to that with our exercise and run and or go for long runs or go for fast runs, then we're sort of, yeah, adding to the additional stress. Whereas if we are able to take a type of exercise that's going to actually
1: balance things out, I suppose we just use different language. Yeah, 100%. I love that. It's, yeah, such an important point. Joyful running is great. I'm reading a book at the moment called Chai Running and it's, yeah, it's called cool think about the joyful aspects. If you're running from, from a joyful aspect, then that, that's cool. But if you're pushing through, it's probably, yeah, it, it might be physically keeping some stuff fed, but it's not going to be giving you a good old mind body rest that we need most of the time in these stressful environments Mm.
0: yeah another other thing I was going to ask you about I'm interested to hear your perspective on I suppose it would be values would be the word I would use but it's about finding out not who you are or what your purpose is that almost sounds a bit deep but you know that's the kind of essence of it what's the first
1: step or what? what's your perspective on values and Mm. purpose oh first of all I think we need to like really drill down into the definition of values because they just get branded around so much. What are your values? These are my top five values. And it's this outside of yourself activity that gets done. Whereas let's actually really think about what values are. Values at the base of everything is belief, you know, underneath the thoughts and feelings that we have are a whole heap of set of beliefs mm-hmm. that we have about ourselves, others and the world around us, which are helping us to survive mm-hmm. based on usually what we've learned predominantly in the first seven years of life, but mm-hmm. we're learning all the time, obviously. So let's take a value. So what is a value? A value is some beliefs we have about the things that are most important to us. Mm. So they are subjective. You know, what you believe to be the most important thing that makes a life worth living might be different to me. So there's certain things that, yeah, once we've defined them, are going to be great because they're going to be our guiding compass of where we should mm. be investing our energy, the things that we value, the things that we love, the things that are important to us based on those beliefs that we have. And then like values can be categorized in different ways. So we've got our life values, which is, should be your starting point, because it's really hard to work out what your partnership values are mm. or what your friendship values are or any of that stuff, unless you've worked out what are your fundamental life values that are driving you if you say and you don't want too many i've got a values pack of cards that i give people and people end up with 30 and that that is like what we're facing in life trying to make decisions between where we should put our energy across 30 different things Totally, yeah (laughs) 100% so i'm quite cutthroat at them being like no let's get this down because actually sometimes you have to decide so let's rank them what are your most important things that you value most in life so that if something happened and you had to choose, you could choose. And you're better off to decide that now than wait until something like that happens and you have to make that decision and then you're doing it in the moment under emotion and you're making the wrong decision. For instance, my top values, absolute number one is health and well-being because without it, like, everything else goes kaput. The second one for me is connection. Um, and that covers, like, connection with friends, family, myself, the environment, a sense of connection to this world as a whole. Contribution would be my third one. I really Mm. feel uh, like it's very important to contribute to this world and make it a better place. Learning and growth is a really important value for me. I feel like we're designed to just keep learning and keep growing. And balance is my fifth one because actually we're all looking for that holy, the the oracle of answer. And I believe that the answer in life really is to balance all of these things. We need to balance like eating chocolate cake and drinking Mm. wine Mm. with eating healthily. (laughs) And we need to, balance rest with activity, like everything if we actually look at and we can learn so much from nature is an evolution of balance and yin and yang. So that's my top five. And it's taken a real while to find them in terms of exercises to find your top values. um, you can work with a coach or someone to help you do that with um, who will challenge you on them. But you could also do like a timeline exercise, which is looking back over your life and thinking about what were the most pivotal moments in your life. And why were they important to you? And based on that, what do you value in life to create a a life worth living? Mm. Another exercise is if your grandkids came to you on your deathbed and said, hey, tell me what is a life worth living? What would you say? And then there's a beautiful book called The Five Regrets of the Dying, Mm. which is a great starting point to Mm. think about what is life for you? What What is the most important thing in life? No better place to learn from people who are literally at the end of life. And have that moment to look back and go, wow, actually what was really important? Mm. So hopefully that's a few little resources you can go to.
0: That's a great start. Now it's funny, I've heard lots of people talk about the perspective that you get at the end of your life. It's a, uh, it's interesting because we do feel like we have so much time and then
1: suddenly that sort of realization that you don't have time it literally changes how you view almost. You'll be there. oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Death, coming face to face with death was probably one of the most pivotal moments for me in my whole life. So I know a lot of people be like, what? But actually it puts life in perspective early on and then allows you to properly live your life. Mm. So five regrets of the dying. (laughs) Cool. We'll put the link in
0: the show notes. So I know you already mentioned it earlier in the conversation, but I thought we would go back and define it properly and also expand on your definition of emotional intelligence.
1: Mm -hmm. So... The quick one, I'm not very good at being quick. No, no. <laughs> The got- quick one is one's ability to be both personally and interpersonally effective.
0: I don't even it- know what that means. Like effective as in make something happen.
1: Oh, wow, Again, you've got to define that, which right. comes down to your definition of success. <laughs> but your ability to do that with yourself... And in relation to others yes. really is the true definition of emotional intelligence because it it covers thoughts, feelings, and emotions. So being able to manage and understand thoughts, feelings, and emotions to show up effectively. But it's really important the overarching definition, which was actually taken from the emotional intelligence profile tool I use it's great that it's twofold in fact it's not just about me showing up to be effective but I'm doing that in relationship with others and that's really important again if you think of like survival we're we're, we're meant to be in relation with others so in, interpersonal and p- personal effectiveness stems from self-awareness first of all and an awareness of others that we're a lot deeper than the surface behaviors that we see and then an ability to use tools and techniques to manage thoughts feelings and emotions to mm-hmm. show up effectively and again you d- you decide what that looks like because mm-hmm. so sorry that's
0: effectively yeah i mean effectively and i was like ah to like affect change ah. or something. but no i got that completely wrong so that's Effectively. Yeah, now that makes sense. Okay. And so some of the tools to improve your emotional intelligence fit
1: along the things that we've already chatted about. Or is there anything in particular? Oh, I think there's a whole range of other tools, actually. Um Somatic-based tools, yeah, which we haven't touched on. I mean, if you think of the doorways in, so you've got the emotional doorway in, the thought doorway in, and the feelings doorway in. If I just list off a few, with our thinking doorway, which is usually what a lot of us go to, we've got reframing tools, cognitive behavioral therapy, acceptance therapy, drilling down and working on our beliefs beliefs. and are they serving us what do Mm. we think how do we Mm. see the world what's our reality all of that kind of stuff Mm. so you can do that with coaches you can just do it with yourself journaling journaling all of that great stuff then if through the doorway of feeling we can literally use all of our senses so if suddenly we've come into an anxious place usually heart rate's risen we're feeling like high vibration we're feeling a bit scared so it's what do we want to do maybe we've got to show up and just do a presentation so it's not great to show up anxious Mm. we can do some grounding tools using the breath to calm down the central nervous system. feeling our feet grounding into the floor feeling a sense of safety so we can come into use our senses to bring us back into a different felt sense we can also also use visualizing techniques so anchoring techniques and visualizing techniques um so for instance, I anchor things like my green tea straight away. As soon as I have it, it gives me a sense of comfort. You can, I've got a visualization, which I've been anchoring and embedding in my mind now for years so that I can just bring it to the front of my mind and straight away my central nervous system calms down. So you can do proactive tools for altering that felt sense. Um, music's great as well. You can get up and have a good dance, which I, I would say is more on the energetic doorway, but mm. if you want to change quite pivotously your emotional expression then dancing is pretty good at doing that so there's actually a whole heap of tools and resources and like some you can just grab on the fly and do within a couple of seconds and other ones go out and top up your resilience for a three-day hike whatever yeah, it's it's that's quite a hard question but there's a whole heap of them and there's there's a slide that I'm going to be putting on in my Instagram profile soon, which actually lists a load of the key ones. So maybe you can go on and have a look at those. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Again, we'll
0: link to that when it's ready. Awesome. Now, this is a question I actually used to ask all my um, guests in my previous seasons, but, and a little off topic, but is there a relationship that you've had in your life, it doesn't have to be a romantic relationship, where you really have felt that you have learned something about yourself or evolved in some
1: way? Oh yeah, every relationship.
0: Well, that exactly. There's an (laughs) argument that there's that every relationship is there to teach you something. But is there one that stands out? And would you mind writing us through those
1: learnings? Oh my goodness, it's hard to know which one to pick. Okay, amazing. I'll pick my mum then. I'll definitely put my mum. I mean, it's pretty profound what I learned. So my mum died in a traffic accident back in 2014, Mm. and what I learned from not just like my mother being my mother but letting go of the relationship with my mother and seeing her go into a new realm of some sorts and coming face to face with death definitely the most profound thing that's ever happened mm. to me from a learning I think yeah it's hard to hard to beat that one really and so what did I learn I learned by actually IDing my mom's body I learned so much about spirituality and that and soul and what actually are we Mm -hmm. sent me down in a real deep who because a lot of people when they think of that probably go wow god that must have been a really scary process and I guess at the time I was engulfed with emotion like my body was helping me cope and survive but when I look back on it in a way it was one of the most profound beautiful things I've ever done Mm. because it just suddenly like smacks you in the face blessed with life and how are we going to live this life and I think then I just embarked on a really big journey of myself of actually looking at all of my beliefs and values and like really analyzing each one step by step and going, is this really true? What do I believe? And how am I going to make the most of this life? Also, it made me just realize, see, I have like such profound respect for mothers in particular, what they sacrifice and give to bring a up another being in this world. And it really annoys me because I work, I head up women in leadership in New Zealand, run lots of le- leadership programs. And there's so many women in particular go, oh, I've just been a mother. And I'm like, this is, I think, one of the most important jobs you could ever do in your whole life. And I think we totally downplay it and underestimate it. So I just had, um, but it's funny because up until that point, obviously, of then losing my mum, to that point, she'd probably be someone I totally took for granted. That's always going to be there for me and just keep giving. And um all of a sudden, you're just like, you, the loss of that connection between child and mother was profound in me trying to then find my own way in the world. So, yeah, there's so many learnings, but one's about what is life really? How do I make the most of it? Just the immense gratitude I have for mothers in particular, like bringing life into this world and doing a good job of that because also I spend a lot of time helping people heal their childhood wounds. And, yeah, just and I think just the blessings of what it is to be alive. And I feel like a lot of the work I do is helping people really see life as a true blessing and want them to make the most of it because we are here for a short period of time mm. Mm.
0: yeah wow that's very profound And we can cover off my boyfriend yeah and add <laughs> her <Anna> another time <laughs> exactly exactly the next podcast yeah yeah <laughs> but that's incredible like yeah as we said We do learn something from every relationship we come into, just even short friendships and things. But that's, yeah, that's pretty profound and incredible learning to receive from your mother. Mm. You know, she brought that to
1: you. 100%. Yes. Thanks, mother.
0: (laughs) Really appreciate that share, Sam. So thank you very much. And we thought we might finish on three tangible pieces of advice, something people could do tomorrow, this afternoon, whenever they next get a chance to, to improve their own emotional intelligence. Mm.
1: Number one, create space. Love it. All of this is dependent on space. Yeah. And I'll just add in there,
0: because we all have the ability to create space. Mm. We just mm. actually need to prioritize yes. it. And I honestly, you like know, both of us, neither of us have children. So there's obviously so many other factors that people have in their life. But there's still even the possibility of creating just a couple of minutes a day. 100%.
1: Yeah, everyone goes, there is no space, there isn't no space. And it's, Who is this person beating you up? Usually it's yourself. <laughs> yeah, Yeah. exactly. Um, These expectations only come from within. It, really. Yeah, so you can totally create space. And I hear, again, parents going, oh, yeah, but you haven't got children. Even parents can create space. They might have to let go of a few things or they might have to get a babysitter in or do some shuffling around. But you can always create some space and, and you don't often need a lot of time, but even just five minutes a day to be like, huh, how am I doing? Mm. How am I feeling? Just start there. So create space is what number one. Number two is get curious. Like adopt a learning mindset with yourself. You spend mm. however many years in this body as a human being. And it amazes me how little we know about ourselves. We know a lot more about our subject areas, like being an engineer or mathematician or teacher or whatever. And you're in this body. Spend some time learning about it. Get curious. Mm. Get curious with everything. The next time you have a depressive thought, instead of getting scared of it, get curious with it. Like, oh, if it was a color, what would it be? Mm. Was it trying to tell me? Mm. Where did it come from? Where did it come from? Um, get curious, particularly with our feelings. Yeah. And, and adopt that learning mindset with ourselves, because it'll be profound what you learn. And then the third thing I think would be choose. It's so amazing the amount that we can choose to do with our time, our energy, and our mindsets. So you can choose the way you want to think. You can choose how you want to show up. You can choose what you believe. So choose wisely. Choose Mm -hmm. what you believe very wisely because it literally underpins the rest of your life. Yeah.
0: Those were amazing, Sam. So I love the, even the languaging you're using and things as well because – and one of the things I do with even my clients just in nutrition is try and try and help them understand that they are totally in control of what they consume. There are other factors, some conscious factors, all that sort of stuff, but we still have the opportunity to choose what we're thinking. We have the opportunity to choose what we're eating. Mm. So that's very wise. Love that. Wonderful. Nice. A way to finish. Cool. Well, thank you very much for listening, guys. Thank you very much for your time. And uh, we'll put all the links to your Instagram and your website, more information about your retreats in the show notes. Lovely. Thanks so much, Laura. It's been very enjoyable. Good. Good. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. I really, really appreciate your time and I hope you've got something out of this episode. I would love to hear what you got out of it, what you thought of the episode. Send me a message on Instagram at wilder, wild with an R on the end, underscore wellness. And yeah, let me know what you thought. All the relevant links will be in the show notes. So feel free to check out all of those things that we mentioned in today's episode. And as always, a reminder to be gentle on yourself. Take things slow. Um, I think that there is no way that you can hear that too many times. So take this as your little reminder today. And I'll see you next time for the next episode on The Wilder Podcast.